welcome listeners to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. Thank you all for listening. We're over 7 million downloads. We're over 700 podcasts, and uh, it's because of you listeners that listen and share and are willing to learn. I learn with you and our guests that reach out. And let me read you an email I got about a month ago. Um, Hello, my name is Mason Jones. First off, I just want to thank you for the podcast. It's been inspiring to hear stories from people trying to do their best and what they have learned along the way. I actually really like that, Mason. That's a really thoughtful description of, of people. I was wondering, though, if you've ever done an episode on limerence, spelled L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E before. It's something I really struggle with, and many of my friends have also had a really hard time with If you're not familiar with it, which I'm not, listeners, it's not technically a diagnosis, but it's a common experience that at least some people have. It's an absolute infatuation with another person, so much more than a crush. It's an obsession over them. My mood became completely dependent on their every slight reaction. I had near panic attacks before seeing them. I had constant issues with rumination and feelings completely out of control. So when I got Mason's email, I went to Google and typed in limerence and thought, wow, I've kind of heard about this, uh, but I don't have anybody in my life that's walking this road. I've never had any experience with this, but um, so much of this is brave people stepping forward and saying, I'm willing to share my story that it might help somebody else. And so this is just out of love that Mason's willing to step forward and share his story. And we prayed before the podcast and we just hope this help somebody else walking this road, or maybe you've got a friend or a family member, or you have priesthood or leadership stewardship responsibility over someone. And kind of like scrupulosity, this is different than scrupulosity. That's something I didn't know any thing about um, five years ago before our own son, um, we learned was walking that road. And I just wish I'd learned about some of these things um, earlier to help people that I love. Um, So Mason is 19 years old, um, bravely sharing his story. He's a Latter-day Saint. He's put in his mission papers. So um, he's preparing for a mission. He's recording from the Seattle area. Um, He grew up in the Portland area. How's that for an introduction, Mason? (laughs) Sounds great. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you have anything else you want to say. No, you are on, man. We're all All praying for you. So um, I feel like I probably should give just a brief introduction to, you know, who I am, where I came from. So I was born in Portland um, and I was like an insane child. I had so much energy. Um, But um, so my dad decided to go back to school and get his PhD. So we moved from Portland to Utah to Minnesota to Wyoming. So I've been kind of all around the block over the course of my life. Um, I've, I've been homeschooled all my life, which, you know, I'm very grateful for. I have six siblings, like, it's a lot of fun at our house. But um, I'm kind of trying to think back when the, I, I first noticed this kind of obsessional crush. And I probably would say when I was 11, in Wyoming, there was this young woman who was in my um, Sunday school class. Um, and I just had like the biggest crush on her. But what I've come to realize now is it wasn't a normal crush. Crushes don't last for three years um, because that's how long I was, well, infatuated with her. Um, and, you know, like even standing nearby, I was like, God super super bad jitters um but that's kind of that's kind of the, the background so you know when i was oh gosh 15 or 16 we moved here to washington um and and this the same behavior happened where you know i would like have this infatuation with the person um and it would last for months and months before it would just like transfer to the next person. It never, never really got resolved. Um, 
and but I feel like I feel like I was doing pretty good then. Um, and around this time, my mental health just went downhill with, well, I mean, first it was my physical health, but then my mental health, but just, just feeling tired all the time. Um, I still trying to figure that one out, but, um, but I, I was not in a, a great place because I was feeling really bad about myself. I was like, why can't I just, why can't I just get to bed on time for seminary and not get enough sleeps? Maybe that's what's causing all these issues. Um, self-loathing issues going on. Anyhow, it was, it was a, a, a big mess, but, but that kind of sets the backdrop for what came next. Um, You're so I met this person. Um, I'm going to call her Adrian because, um, well, just that, that's not her real name, but just for privacy reasons. Um, and I, like, I still have this vivid image of my mind, like the first time I saw her and I was like, there's something different about that person. Um, and a couple of months later, I ended up asking her on a date and I was floored. I was like completely floored. I was like, who, who is this person? Like, you know, she loves music. She loves reading and just all things that I, I love. Um, just, just a bunch of other stuff that was like, we really, really clicked. Um, but, but afterwards, that's when I started noticing this kind of like rumination behavior. Um, where I would just think about, you know, oh, that was such a fun time. It'd be like reliving experiences um, from when I interacted with her. Um, and also I started texting her. Um, now she was pretty busy with school, so she was not very consistent responding to me, which just like <laughs> led to so much, so much anxiety on my part. Um, like I still have this vivid image of me. Um, I have an organ because I love playing organ. Um, but I was playing organ and it was late at night and, you know, I went over to my phone and I was like, I wonder if she's responded. And, and, you know, we got that, I got that text message back and I was just like, absolutely euphoric. It was something like, she was like, yeah, that's cool. And I just like, just like through the roof happiness. Um, and I think I stood up for like an hour and just played show tunes because I love doing that. Um, but, but at first it was, it was pretty incredible. I was like, this is such a cool person. Um, but given like a few weeks, it's like anxiety just went up so much and any kind of like perceived either rejection or reciprocation, just like, just yanked me one direction or the other where it was like, she said something just tiny, like, oh yeah, that's cool. Or, oh yeah, I've heard of that before. It's like, you know, through the roof of excitement. But if she's like, no, I couldn't make it to that activity or, um, you know, oh, I'm busy right now. I just like, just <laughs> my mood just tanks. Um, and so like, I, I can't describe just how dependent my mood was on how I perceived my relationship with her. Um, so, you know, when things seemed to be going good, I, it was just amazing. And when things weren't going good, I was just <laughs> in a bad place. Um, and this, this swinging back and forth, just, it was, it's, it's not good. It's not a good place to be because, um, because it's just like a constant source of anxiety. Um, and especially since she was busy and not consistent with responding. I mean, if you think about uh, randomized rewards, it's like it creates even more incentive when you don't always get a response. And that's what the situation is like. It's like, I might text, not get a response for two weeks. Um, and then get this like, you know, like page long response. And so, um, uh, that was kind of, 
that was kind of the the relationship I had with her. Um, and let me just say, let me look over my notes what I wanted to cover. Um, You're do another thing too was I would I would plan out in lots like I, I think about you know the next time she might be at the same event that I'm going to or um, that sort of thing and I would plan out you'll be like what how could I you know talk to her or what sort of ways could I um, you know get to spend more time with her which like part of me was very much kind of like repulsed by that I was even having these thoughts that I was like this is going this is going too far but the thing about obsessive thoughts is you can't <laughs> just tell them to go away um they keep coming up um and I mean later on I asked her on another date and I like I I vomited before that um and that was actually a recurring thing that my anxiety was so bad before meeting her in person that I would I'd usually throw up um or even if I like even if I saw someone who looked kind of like her from the back I would get like this spike of adrenaline um uh, another thing too was like <clears throat> certain things became associated with her <clears throat> excuse me so like um you know like if I heard a certain song and I happened to hear that at a dance that she happened to be at like that song was forever associated with her and it, and it is still to this day um I'll come back to that later but um I just like this this sounds really bad but it she became my sort of my goddess like she could do nothing wrong um when I saw something that I normally would say yeah that would be a fault in a person I would convert it into a strength so you know if it was like oh she's bad at responding to messages instead of saying she's bad at responding to messages my brain would say no she's just busy doing school which is a good thing or um just things like that where it, I would convert it in my brain so that she was a perfect person um and uh and trying to live up to a perfect person is impossible um and so I just felt so like I just felt like I always fell short of her um so this wasn't this wasn't her. This was the image that I had created of her. Um, this is why when we, when a lot of people talk about limerence, they talk about a limerent object because this person has turned into an object um, in the sense that you're not worried about them as much as you're worried about you in relation to them. Um, and I hated that about myself. I absolutely hated that. I felt so awful. Um, that I was turning her into this kind of person um, because it's not fair to hold anyone to standard of perfection. Um, and and also, like, I felt like she was always judging me. And I also felt bad about that because I was like, I know she's not judging me, and yet I feel like she is. And I just, I felt so bad that I was misconstruing her. Um, and... And, you know, with that, with that feeling of constantly being judged, I would, I would almost like plan ahead entire conversations. I would think through what I would say, what responses would be, um, you know, painstaking detail, or I would reflect on, you know, you know, based on this text message, is this approval or is this disapproval or, um, it was just a very very bad spot to be um and let me see uh you're doing a good job mason you're really brave <laughs> um yeah i just gotta gotta figure out what to say oh yeah and later on um 
you know, after the second day, I, in my rumination, I would sometimes, you know, like, go through courtship and propose to her in my brain. And, and like, every time that happened, I was just so appalled that I would even think about that because, you know, I'm the sort of person who wants to take things slowly and respect other people. But I had already, like, imagined us getting married, um, which is, <laughs> you know, I was living, I was living in the future so much with this, and and my future kept seesawing one way or another. Um, I think this pattern went on of, you know, inconsistent contact and, you know, like she not being able to come to an activity or ending up making it um, probably until it was about August um, when I finally got the courage to tell her that I liked her. Um, and this was all before I knew about limerence. Um, and she said, you know, like, I'd love to stay friends, but I don't feel the same way about you. Um, and And that crushed me. Like, I just... Wow. I still remember it was like all my fantasies had come crashing down. And, you know, I just, we happened to be on vacation at the time and I just was sitting on the beach, like staring at the sky for hours. We responded um, because that's just how emotionally connected I had been to the object that I had created based on her. Um, because... I want to, you know, I want to make it very clear that she is a wonderful person, um, and this was this was all on my side. This was very one-sided. I I held myself back a lot. I I don't think I mentioned any of this to her, besides maybe like I kind of like you, um, but but I think that's a good. I feel like that's probably a good description of where that is. And so I don't know if you want to ask questions now, or should I just talk about like, you know, kind of my road to healing? Yeah. Talk, talk about your road to healing. Um, Cause I, I assume you're kind of undiagnosed at this point. You don't realize this experience is maybe different than others. And maybe you're not opening up with the true totality of your feelings. So that's, you don't need to address that now, but, eventually you become self-aware that this is not and I need to figure out what's going on here. So it sounds like that's a segment you're going to go into. So yes, please go into that segment. Um, I think one of the first big things was I got diagnosed with ADHD um, in November, actually last November. So this is still very recent. Um, and that that made a huge, that made a huge difference um, because it was like, oh, my mind doesn't work the same way everybody else does. Because, um, you know, parallel to this whole journey of limerence was also me f- failing like school classes, like barely scraping by to graduate. Um, and so... And so that was kind of the first time when I realized, you know, this, this isn't my fault. There's, there's something else going on here. Um, and just learning about ADHD, um, you know, someone mentioned, you know, have you ever heard of limerence before? Because we see a lot of people with ADHD tend to have issues with limerence too. Um, and, that was like, wow, I, I couldn't believe that other people had gone through the same thing that I had. Um, and now I know of at least, I have at least three friends who struggle with this very same thing. Um, who just, you know, become like, so, I mean, obsessed about this person. And, and all of them are wonderful people and all of them hate it. They don't want to be in this, in this, um, like in this frame of mind. Um, and so, 
that was a big thing. The other thing too was over, you know, this time I, I really learned how to connect myself to Christ. I really, really learned what, what Christ's at one minute was that, you know, it's, it's not a penal system where Heavenly Father wants to punish me and God takes on that, or Christ takes on that punishment. It's a system where God, or Christ feels the pains of everyone so that he can help them reconcile themselves with themselves and with others. Um, and that's, that's the beauty of the gospel is that God is our advocate to our brother, not our advocate to our father. Um, but, but learning about, learning about limerence, learning about ADHD, um, just developing my relationship with Christ it has been, it has been a worthwhile journey. <laughs> um, you know, also for a period, I really struggled with depression. Um, and, and it's given me an ability to empathize with, with those who have depression. Other people might be like, why can't you just get off the sofa? Or why can't you just um, do something? Because I I felt that just feeling of nothingness and no hopelessness and not being a worthwhile person. <laughs> but I feel like that is that is those those are the the big points on my story. It's an un- it's a good story, Mason. It's an unusual story, and you're really brave to share it. And um, <clears throat> now I pray that I, listeners, that I'll ask questions you have in your minds and questions that are helpful for Mason. Um, I've always felt with mental health issues that therapists have a road and Jesus has a road that, you know, Jesus can bring healing and peace and therapists can bring understanding and a a diagnosis and there's often then therapy or steps to take or medication to help with a mental health issue. Talk more about just what you've done from a mental, from a therapy standpoint, from a mental health standpoint um, to address limerence. And is it this kind of thing that there's two questions in here, if you remember them, that is this the kind of thing that people just learn to live with? Or is this the kind of thing that completely can go away? Um, so on the first, uh, question about mental health, I, I have had a bad experience with therapists. Um, okay. I've had four therapists now <laughs> and each one of them assumed that they knew what was going on without having taken the time to figure out Interesting. what's going on. Um, and you know, because I trust them, I'm like, well, they know what they're doing and I need to be willing to try their suggestions because if I never apply their suggestions, then nothing will come of it. But all of their suggestions didn't end up being that helpful for me. And I don't think that's a fault of them. It's just that my situation is a very strange situation um, where, you know, it's a weird combination of ADHD and limerence and physical fatigue that just it fits a lot of a lot of diagnoses but all of them didn't end up helping in the end so good answer talk about this second one is this something people get over is it like a a acute thing or is it kind of an ongoing thing you just learn how to manage and recognize so I don't feel too qualified to answer this, but from what I've read, um, it's something that people struggle with for all their lives. Um, and, and often the way they resolve it is by having no contact with the person. Like literally they just cut all ties for a year. Um, which I feel like there's a better solution out there, but we haven't found it yet. Um, 
one thing I'd actually like to experiment with is exposure therapy, except imaginal exposure therapy, because are you familiar with imaginal exposure therapy? Yeah. yeah. So, you know, it's just the idea that you, instead of actually, you know, exposing yourself, which doesn't work when it's working with people, um, you write out an imaginary scenario or, you know, you like listen to music that triggers feelings of anxiety, look at pictures, that sort of thing. So that you have, you have this triggered anxiety, but at the same time you have a normal situation. So your brain is like, wait, we have a normal situation. So what's going on? Um, that's kind of, kind of what I'm hoping to do, but I, that requires consistency and consistency is not something I'm good at right now. I like that you have hope. Um, it's a good answer that you pragmatically recognize this could be with you your life, but your whole life, but you hope that you just learn better tools to manage this and other people come forward with better tools. I love your thought about exposure response therapy because my understanding, listeners, you get exposed to the thing you're fearful of <laughs> or you're trying to just live with. And so, but in this case, that's not really possible, but you suggested a pretty thoughtful way to do that. And so that's interesting for me. And um, you're very self-aware of kind of, I think that's one of the advantages, listeners, of a diagnosis is, you know, it puts sort of context to what you have. I went to Wikipedia and limerence can also be defined as an involuntary state of intense desire for someone marked by intrusive thoughts and a desire for relationship and reciprocation. And I like the word involuntary state because I think this isn't something you said one day at age when you had this first crush, which would be a normal thing to then have this sort of unfold. Um, so I don't, I recognize you didn't say, well, I'm going to, I have such a crush on her. I'm going to make it into this kind of other space this is not intentional and there's a mental health issue if i'm okay using that term going on here but it's interesting because it results from a pretty normal thing it would be a normal thing to have a crush on somebody you know i can go back to the second grade and tell you the name of a couple of girls in um mrs mrs affleck's class at indian hills high school in salt lake city um, but those, and, and sometimes you open up to people about that and it's celebrated. You're 16, so you can date. I think when this happened and you went on a date with her, so all that's pretty normal. Um, it's just, you know, so it's, um, here's another question for you. So back to, I think you were 16 when you went on a date, we're calling her Adrian. Is that right? 16? Yeah. So Go and you're 19 now. Go back to your 16 year old self. Did were you aware? Maybe oh, sorry, it was it was um, I was 17. 17. I was, I was almost 18. Okay, so a couple years ago, roughly. Did were you aware that this crush, quote unquote, had morphed, if that's an okay word, into something that was not healthy or unusual compared to your peers? Yeah, probably after the first. I would say probably after the first two months, I started noticing like this is a really unhealthy thinking pattern. Um, and I would say just um, just a very a brief aside about limerence. Um, there is virtually no research. There have only been ever two researchers who've even looked into it. Um, and And it a, a limerent object can be someone of the same gender. It can be someone who's like 40 years older or younger um, because it's it's not a desire for sexual reciprocation. It's for emotional reciprocation. Interesting. Um, and so even if it's like, well, I'm not gay, but I feel a very strong attraction to this man, it's... It, it, could be it could be limerence interesting um talk what you would say you're 19 now and this you're roughly two years removed from this or what would you say to your younger self um 
your emotions or your thoughts, especially your intrusive thoughts, are not your fault. Um, because I felt awful for having these thoughts. But if I, but you know, now I've learned that, well, they are unwanted thoughts. Thoughts do not lead to actions unless I let them. Because I think we talk about, you know, well, like, thoughts lead to actions, actions lead to behaviors, behaviors lead to life. Um, and the thing is, there's, there's this spot between thoughts and actions. Um, and that's agency. And so if you have a bad thought, that's not your fault. It's not going to lead to an action unless you let it. That's a really good answer. Um, we've done a lot of podcasts on intrusive thoughts. Dr. Deborah McClendon recorded a podcast, maybe three episodes before this one on scrupulosity and Intrusive thoughts are something I love the way we used to teach about thoughts, and I love the way you stuck a big piece of agency in there, and we're not responsible for our thoughts. And I think that, I think we shouldn't, you know, I think that helps us not feel bad for our thoughts. <laughs> um, intrusive thoughts, by definition, aren't things we like thought of to think of um, and said, I want to go think to have this thought. I'm being yeah. kind of silly here listeners but if, you, if you're feeling distressed <laughs> at having a thought that means you're already resisting like if you're like oh i actually like this thought that's the issue but when someone is actively resisting the thought you know that they're consciously choosing not to follow that thought one of the things listeners we talk a lot about is the bottom of the iceberg and often we see behaviors at the top of the iceberg and to really understand the totalities, we have to get to the bottom of the iceberg to understand what's going on there. And I have used that in a sense at times with pornography use, that pornography use is a sin. And and everybody I've talked on the podcast is trying to work through that and solve that. And we've had researchers and experts in that space. But I've always felt getting to the bottom of the iceberg, and often it's anxiety, the need for connection. It's not like... One day you thought, I want to disappoint God, so I'm going to start viewing pornography. It's mm -hmm. sort of like trying to get to the bottom of the iceberg and understand it's often a coping mechanism for something. Now, I'm not comparing liberance to pornography, but when you first started talking about liberance, I thought, because I'm not a therapist, I thought, well, what's at the bottom of the iceberg for Mason is some sort of um, difficult relationship in his past that's now being manifest in in this infatuation with somebody else. And I think that's wrong, listeners. And so if, I don't know. I share that because I think sometimes I'm not a therapist, so I want to sort of make everything fit into my tidy box and say, this is not a real thing. This is just a reaction to a difficult relationship you've had in your life. And I guess that's possible in some situations that a current behavior is a result of a difficult relationship. But I think we have to go slow and try to really figure out what's the bottom of the iceberg to understand the best path for healing. And every story is going to be different. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever told you that, Mason, that this is a reaction to something else versus a mental health issue. Um, but I think I'm pretty comfortable you've kind of gotten to the bottom of the iceberg and understand this is a mental health issue. It's probably somewhat connected with ADHD. Um, it's not a moral weakness. It's not a spiritual weakness. It's not because God doesn't love me or I've lost favor with God. It's just kind of the reality. Any, I'm kind. I want you to talk about that to see if there's anything that resonates with you or doesn't resonate with you in what I just said. You know, there's people who are in a loving relationship, you know, like 20 years married, and it strikes them and. It's like the struggle of their life because, wow. because they, you know, they are in a loving relationship. They love their spouse and it can just cause all these awful and wanted thoughts. Um, also, just as you mentioned, like, you know, the way we look at God's at, at one minute, um, I, this is just my personal belief, but I think of it. I think of it more as when we come to the judgment seat of God, um, it's 
Heavenly Father being the judge of Israel who says, who is, who is being the kind of the judge to oversee my brother suing me or me suing my brother. And Christ comes in and advocates for me to my brother and says, hey, he was going through a really rough thing. And so, and so I think of God's, of Christ's sacrifice to understand all of us so that he can help defend us from each other's lobbying of fireballs. Um, I don't think it's Heavenly Father going up there and judging us because he loves us perfectly. I think, I think of the parable of, um, prodigal son where at the very end you see his brother who says, you know, this is unfair. And it's his father who says, let's just love him. And I think that, you know, the older brother can be me when I'm like, that person did something unfair. And, and the, the father in the story is, Christ saying, no, we just need to love him. Because heaven is about our relationships with one another, not about individual salvation. You're going to make a good missionary, Elder Jones, someday. That was really thoughtful. Sometimes I'm struck by the maturity of younger Latter-day Saints, especially those that have worked through pretty complicated stuff. And um, if some, you know, this is, maybe part of your story is you've had to work through really complicated stuff and there hasn't been probably a priest quorum lesson on liberance. <laughs> um, no. And um, or an early morning seminary class. And I don't mean that to be critical, but um, you've had to work really hard to figure out what's going on at the bottom of your iceberg and what, you know, these intrusive thoughts at the top of the iceberg. And um, I love your earlier line. My, my mood was completely dependent on this other person. And, mm -hmm. and you've done a really good job to just work hard to understand you, understand, you know, what's going on here. And I, I think it makes you a better human being, a better missionary. I think your, your ability to have a more thoughtful love for all Latter-day Saints, all investigators is improved because of your own personal journey and, and maybe your role, because you're, you mentioned how strongly the Savior's been there for you. You're understanding the atonement for you. This isn't sin, so don't use atonement in the sense of sin, but just the atonement in the sense it's healing. Like Elder Kirlin talked about in his conference talk in April of 2023, healing in my wings. Um, all the woundedness of life and the Savior's ability to heal us that you mentioned so I think it makes you a better human being and a better missionary. And you're 19 and you figured out so much of this stuff. You're going to get yeah. married one day, uh, Mason. Um, do you worry? This is a tender question, but maybe others that are working through limerence wonder that are single. You're going to get married someday. Do you? I, I, this is a leading question. Why do you hope that you can have a completely normal marriage and limerence won't affect your marriage in a in a in a negative way. So that's a leading question. <laughs> I, I agree with that leading question because I do plan to be married one day. Um, yeah, I'm, it, it is something that still really concerns me because right now it's dormant, but I'm, I'm pretty confident it hasn't gone away. Um, and so, and so, yeah, I, I am worried. You know, it's like, what if I leave my wife because of this? Um, but what I've come to realize is that life is always going to be crazy. Um, and so that's why I have Christ as my savior. Um, and I think that through the temple covenants I make, I can be bound to him and, you know, protected from the worst of, of this issue. And so um, I still have, I still want to get more stuff figured out, but I go forward hopeful with, um, Christ. Great answer. Will you tell your, let's say you're dating somebody. This is, I'm taking you back. Oh, you're home for your mission now. Um, you're whatever age you're dating. Someone, it's getting kind of serious. Will you tell her about limerence? Um, 
probably just everything I've mentioned today that it's um it's something I struggle with. Um it, I can become very emotionally invested in another person. Um I'm willing to put in the hard work to get through it. It's a tender question. I don't know if you've thought about it before. I loved your answer, Mason. And I um, I just think, listeners, that this is for single people wondering if they're going to ever open up to their other, to who they're dating about the realities of their life. And I encourage you, and every you're going to have to figure this out for yourself and go by the Spirit. But my general feeling is, as you open up about the realities of your life, the person that you really need to marry or want to marry loves you more um, because of your vulnerability and your honesty and allows that other person to be vulnerable and honest. And they may then open up about, may not be a mental health issue, but it may just be a tender part of their story or their family story. And they may not know how they're, um, who they're dating and as it gets serious would respond. And, Often being able to walk that road together with the reality of our lives versus I need to be my perfect self, this this unauthentic, perfect, not my true self, but who I think I'm supposed to present. And that's who I'm going to present in the dating process. And that can be okay at first, but eventually I think it's good to be completely honest with our, with who we're dating, especially maybe in the pre-engagement, once you're going serious stage. So there may be some girls that once they learn about limerence and the relationship, that's a possibility. But there may, who you marry, I don't want to feel like I'm prophesying your future here, but who you marry, Mason, um, I think they will love you more because you've talked to them about limerence and they recognize the hard work you've done to understand this um, address it, be honest about it, even be public about it. And they will recognize the, the core of you and your willingness to do that are the things that helps them fall in love with you and recognize that makes you a better husband and a better father. I think you're a better missionary because of who you are. And so that's my general feeling listeners that are unmarried about, you know, opening up even married, um, when we're in our, in our full authentic selves. It can be harder once we're married if we don't open up, if we first time open about about stuff. <laughs> I don't know how to word that. I don't want to be a marriage counselor on this podcast. I'm just trying to be <laughs> a podcast host, letting people share their stories. Um, are you okay with that? What I said, is that is that okay? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I feel like whoever I would want to marry um, I, if they weren't understanding of that, then they're probably not the right person. <laughs> that's good. I think that's a good way to look at it. And here's yeah. another leading. And, Go ahead. Keep oh, talking. I was just going to say, I have also, because, you know, I am concerned about, well, what happens if I just like fall head over heels in love with somebody? And then three months later, we're married and I missed a lot. Um, and so I also have put in some backstops. So, for example, I need to know the person at least for six months before I consider going into courtship. Um, two, my family needs to love them because if my family doesn't like them, then there's something I'm missing. Um, you know, family and close friends. Um, I feel like there's one other, but I, I've kind of put these safety nets in my life so that if this does end up becoming an issue again, I have, you know, I, I've committed to trust my family. I've committed to wait um, so that I can, you know, cool down a bit and properly evaluate the situation. That's really thoughtful, very intentional. I love the word backstops. So this is part of you being self-aware of who you are that you're very intentional on just how to go forward. And I think you'll do great. Thank you. Talk about your, this is another leading question. Why do you think your experience with this 
with deliverance and just mental help makes you a better missionary? It has, it has provided me a way to empathize with people that I never would have known before. Um, I still remember like four years hearing about depression. It was like, well, why don't they just get off, off their booties and get going? Um, and then, you know, I had depression and I was like, oh, it's, um, and, and I feel like, you know, once you learn to be empathetic, towards one mental health issue, it makes it a little easier to understand that we don't all think the same way and and, and just how invisible but powerful mental health issues are. I mean, they're crippling. And, and just telling someone, well, why don't you just get up is not helping because you know what? They've already tried that 50 times. Um, that was one thing that I've learned is that I have tried. I've read all the self-help books. I have tried all of these routines. I've been super careful about my diet, all these different things, and it still hasn't made a difference. And so, and so I don't, I don't give any advice unless someone has asked for it because they probably have already heard everything you have to tell them. Other things you'd like to share? Anything else come to your mind, Mason? Um, question. I might need to take a second to think about that. Oh, for all those prospective missionaries out there, look into service missions if you're not, um, if you're not feeling quite ready to go on a full-time mission, um, I'm applying for a service mission right now. And like they are changing so fast. Now they're integrated. Or, I mean, as of 2024, they'll be fully integrated. So you'll work under the mission president. You can transfer between proselyting. You know, like you can transfer in for a while. And if it's not working, you can transfer back out. Um, so. Like if, if you're like, I want to go on a mission, but my mental health isn't quite there or I have some issue going on, I strongly suggest looking to service missions because they are such a wonderful opportunity. It's like, I, I know it'll be a while to like figure out this fatigue stuff, but I'm going to get started. I'm done waiting. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mason. When I, I just became aware of that. Um, Scanning church news. We've done a couple podcasts with service missionaries to normalize that as not sort of like the second choice if the first choice doesn't work out, but an equal choice mm-hmm. that's recognized in the sight of God, our leaders, ourselves, and our culture as an equal service opportunity to bless lives. And our culture sometimes doesn't reflect that. And the service missionaries I've had on the podcast want to be integrated in the teaching part. They want to be proselyting missionaries too, and they would love to report to a mission report. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word, but uh, <laughs> yeah. maybe it is. The mission presence in charge of them. They're going to zone conferences and experiencing the, the camaraderie. I can't say that very well, word very well, the brotherhood, the sisterhood of serving. <laughs> and I love that that's all being made possible. And and I love the way you want to serve. And so that's a not a doctrinal change in our church, but part of President Nelson inviting us to take our vitamins. And um, I love these sort of adjustments. So I just, I absolutely love that. And the service missionaries that I've had on the podcast or talked about in one of my books are terrific. Um, and they want to bring people to Christ. And they, so I love that change. And I love that you're pursuing that. I love you felt pressed to bring that up. Anything else come to your mind? <laughs> um, well, I mean, I always have more to talk about, but it, I probably shouldn't you know, go on a 30-minute <laughs> rant about how exciting family history is. So I better, <laughs> better stop. Well, thank you. I mean, I just... Um, I'm honored this platform exists, listeners, where brave people feel safe stepping forward to share their stories. And 
um, lots of subjects I don't have any firsthand experience with, but I learned so much and it, it helps me with my baptism covenants to bear more in comfort and be more informed as people in my circle. And I have stewardship responsibility or walking roads like limerence. Um, my younger self before this podcast would have just probably been a bit dismissive if you had opened up to me and I said, well, just quit obsessing, Mason. You know, get over it. And I'm sorry to say these things out loud and you're smiling, which you're kind, but maybe you, I'm sure you've said those to yourself, but this is, I realize well, now, <laughs> I realize like, now oh. this, yeah, it's this, like the Wikipedia definition, this is an unintentional. So things like this need to be solved, not with shaming language like I just started with, but by um, getting a diagnosis and understand the road to therapy and healing and crisis. Part of that is, Mason points out, and so we don't use the shaming language that just adds to your burden and makes you feel worse for feeling mm-hmm. this way and go, what's wrong with me? Everybody else can just have a normal crush and move on, and I'm not able to do that. And so then you think, then you shift it into a spiritual weakness and think, well, does God not love me, or is this a moral failing? And it's not. It's a mental health issue. It's like you know, broken foot. You've got to deal with it the way that things like that are dealt with. So anyway, you're brave. And um, I love that you're not coming on this podcast at at 49 saying, I lived 30 years with undiagnosed limerence. Let me tell you about the hell I've lived over the last 30 years. And now I finally figured it out. Mm-hmm. Um, you've, you know, you're at 19 and you may, as you point out, this may be part of your journey, but um, I think you'll have the tools to manage this and have a great life ahead of you. And so you're a good man, Mason, and you're going to be a good Elder Jones um, someday and bless a lot of lives. So thank you for being on the podcast. Thank you, too, for listening and <laughs> learning and loving, I guess. <laughs> That's great. So Mason Jones and Richard Osler signing off on another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>